Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Bibb, and if you're a guest or visitor joining us today, please know you're always very welcome here at Trinity Lutheran Church. And uh, we gather on this, oh, hit the microphone there, forgive me. We gather on this uh, sixth Sunday after Trinity, where Jesus reveals to us the law in all its fullness this day, as we have in the Old Testament reading the giving of the law, and then in the Gospel, uh, Jesus is explaining and even sharpening of the law in the Sermon on the Mount, and so it begs the question, how then shall we be saved? And of course, uh, we rejoice that Christ is our righteousness this day. I'll turn your attention to the Focused on Christ section in the uh, inside back cover of your bulletin where we do have a summary of the readings today. Where it says exactly that. Here Jesus says in the Gospel, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. God demands nothing less than perfection and holiness from you in regard to his commandments. Your only hope, then, is not in your own goodness, but in the goodness of Christ, who did not come to destroy the law and prophets, but to fulfill them for you. In Christ, your righteousness does indeed exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, for you've been baptized into Christ's death and your sinful nature crucified. Therefore, he who has died has been freed from sin. You are now raised with Christ to walk in newness of life and to share in his resurrection on the last day. Christ has brought you through the baptismal sea, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We will be receiving the Lord's body and blood this day as he bids us do in his own last will and testament. And then also according to his word. He bids that we be in union, not just in terms of what we believe about the sacrament, but indeed all of our doctrine and life as Christians. Therefore, we do practice closed communion here. And I ask that all those joining us at the altar be members either of this congregation or of a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, being joined together in that unity of doctrine and practice. If you have any questions about this, I'm always happy to have a much longer conversation about the Word of God concerning this. Our service this day is Divine Service Setting 4. As it's found on page 203, we now sing the first hymn. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Lord of all power and might, author and giver of all good things, graft into our hearts the love of your name. Increase in us true religion. Nourish us with all goodness. And of your great mercy, keep us in the same. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading for the sixth Sunday after Trinity is from Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock 
or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are still going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our sermon text this day is the Gospel lesson. Boy, there's a lot here to cover. But really the the summary of so much of what we see here is this. That the law of God is good and true and it is beautiful. 
The law of God is good and wise. In fact, there is a hymn in our hymnal by that very title, written by a man named Matthias Loy. And he also was the translator of our hymn of the day. But this hymn that he wrote, The Law of God is Good and Wise, it extols the truth and virtue of the Ten Commandments. And Martin Luther, as he put together the catechism, he also wrote catechism hymns, a hymn on each chief part of the catechism. And he has one on the Ten Commandments entitled, These Are the Holy Ten Commands. Here's a little snippet of each of those hymns. The law of God is good and wise and sets his will before our eyes, shows us the way of righteousness and dooms to death when we transgress. And from Luther, these are the holy ten commands God gave to us by Moses' hands when high on Sinai's mount he stood, receiving them for our good. Have mercy, Lord. Well, as Luther states, God's holy ten commands were in fact given and received for our good. We have in the Ten Commandments the perfect revealing of God's holy will. If you're wondering what it's going to be like in paradise, everybody there will be perfectly keeping and living out the Ten Commandments. There's only one problem, though. It's not with the Ten Commandments. In fact, I think you already know where the problem lies because the Ten Commandments themselves are perfect. No, the problem is with us. We are sinners we are descendants of our fallen parents, Adam and Eve. In the hymn of the day, we confess this. We sang, all mankind fell in Adam's fall. One common sin infects us all. From one to all, the curse descends, and over all, God's wrath impends. Of course, we see evidence of sin and its effects everywhere in our lives and in this world. I mean, just look around us. We feel it, and we see it in our aging and ailing bodies. We see it in the violence on TV, in the war, and the bloodshed. We see it on social media, and of course also the wrath that burns in our own hearts, one toward another. We hear it as the truth is called lies and evil, and as lies are called truth and good. We see it as people turn away from the one true God to worship anything, anything and everything but God. Of course, the newest religion on the block in the last few years is wokeism. But as soon as that fad passes, if you will, even though the false ideology has been around for a long, long time, there'll be another thing that pops up. Lord have mercy. We live in a country where many people are confused about such basic truths as male, female, and whether or not a human being, or whether or not a baby in the womb, rather, is a human being. It's madness of the highest order. And yet we Christians, we're not without sin. The wages of sin is death, says St. Paul. And every funeral we attend, whether it be for a Christian or a pagan, it shows this to be true. When we examine ourselves according to God's holy, perfect law, his Holy Spirit reveals the terrible and terrifying truth. We are poor, miserable sinners. Unclean in thought, word, and deed. We are unholy. And left to ourselves and our own efforts, we would be lost to sin the death that comes with it, and the eternal hellfire in store for those who die in unbelief. The law of God is good and wise, and it reveals that without a Savior from sin, death, and hell, we're lost. However, remember that we also sang these words today. As by one man all mankind fell, and born in sin was doomed to hell, so by one man who took our place, we all were justified by grace. That one man, of course, is the God-man, Jesus Christ. 
our long-promised Savior who fulfilled the law in our place. Think on that for a moment. Every single commandment, thought, word, and deed from conception till he died, he kept them all perfectly, never once breaking them, even to the slightest degree. He fulfilled the law in your place. He died your death on the cross and was raised from the tomb in victory on the third day. God be praised indeed for his mercy, his grace, his love towards sinners. The gospel of Christ crucified and resurrected is indeed the greatest news there is. There's nothing better. There's nothing better on this side of glory. Christ Jesus has reconciled us to God the Father. He's paid the debt of our sin and risen with the promise of forgiveness and life to all who cling to him in faith. Now, knowing and believing these promises of God, it allows us to approach the gospel lesson today properly, to understand it correctly. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. By the way, an iota is like the dot on the top of an I or a lowercase j. He's saying that not even in its most minute details will anything pass away of the law until all is accomplished. So Jesus tells his disciples what he has come to do, namely to fulfill the law as part of his work of salvation. You see, this was necessary. Sin could not go unpunished. God was not simply just going to look upon us in our sin and just give us a fatherly wink as though he's sitting on, you know, the rocking chair on the front porch and just say, it's okay, child, go have your fun. No, by no means. Sin is deadly. It has consequences. Sin is evil. And the reality is that God saw us in our sinful state, woefully lost and depraved, and he had mercy on us. Such is God's character. God is love. And not love according to this perverted world's definition, but love according to his own. Love according to the one who created love. Self-sacrificial love and perfection. So it is that Jesus came to fulfill what we were unable to do. He came to keep and fulfill the law perfectly, and he did. Having fulfilled the law's demands, Jesus then went to the cross as the Lamb of God, the perfect once and for all time sacrifice for all sin. In Christ, all things were accomplished and fulfilled for our salvation. Indeed, these are the words on Jesus' own lips on the cross. It is finished to tell us thy. The full meaning of that word is accomplished, fulfilled, completed. It means to bring to an end something which was prophesied. This is the intended purpose of Jesus' coming. It's his death for sinners. Therefore, when we hear today that Jesus has come to fulfill the law, this is good news of the highest order, for he came to do what we could not. God be praised. Amen. But you see, the gospel lesson doesn't end there. That's not the end of the reading today, and it's not the fullness of what Jesus teaches us in this reading. There's more. You see, as I said before, knowing and believing the sure and certain promises of Christ crucified for sinners, it brings us to the place where we can properly, correctly understand what Jesus teaches us in the gospel today. You see, this reading is from the Sermon on the Mount, wherein Jesus teaches his disciples about himself and what our lives as Christians will look like. This is why this particular gospel reading is paired up with the giving of the law on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament reading. Now, make no mistake, Jesus is not, I repeat, not the new Moses. 
Rather, Jesus is the fulfillment of what Moses spoke in Deuteronomy 18 concerning the prophet who would come after him, the one whom God would raise up. See, Jesus is not giving us the law 2.0 or some kind of new and improved law. As you read through Matthew 5 in our reading today, you see that Jesus, he sharpens the law. He clarifies it and he teaches the law in its full intensity and purity. He softens nothing. Notice, though, that Jesus also has stern and loving warnings for his church. That is, for us, his forgiven and redeemed and baptized people. He says in verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, to summarize, just looking at the plain meaning of the text, Jesus says there are those who will be least in the kingdom of heaven and those who will be great. Now, this is a mystery to us because we're not told all the details of how this works. And honestly, it's good that we don't know all the details. I tell you what, we would focus on this teaching more than on the gospel itself. Just as the disciples argued amongst themselves about who was the greatest, so it would be throughout the church. But what Jesus does tell us is this. Those who are least in the kingdom of heaven are called that because during their earthly life they relaxed God's Ten Commandments. And they taught others to do the same. Now, what does that mean? Well, it happens when we think and we say things like, well, you know, God says we shouldn't do that. But it's probably okay to just go ahead and do it, right? I mean, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt anyone else. And besides, right, he's going to forgive you anyway. That's dangerous territory, saints. To give you a more concrete example, the sixth commandment is you shall not commit adultery. This includes premarital sex. It includes pornography. It includes polyamory, anything that is outside of God's ordained blessings of marriage, his institution of marriage, and the joining of one man and one woman for life in that union. And it applies to our thoughts, words, and our deeds. However, how many Christians do you know who don't take this seriously at all? Or take the second commandment, for instance. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This includes believing and teaching False teaching. False teaching breaks the second commandment, and yet how many Christians do you know who hold to and believe false teaching about God? Folks, you could go right on down the list. And as far as what Jesus says, teaches others to do the same, that part, well, you teach others to do the same when you relax the commandments and you do not repent. Why does Jesus lay the hammer down so hard with the law? Well, this might sound crazy to us, but it is because he loves you. He loves you enough to show you how seriously God takes his word. He wants to defend you from the devil and his lies and temptations. He wants to defend you from the world. He wants to defend you against your own sinful flesh, which by nature is rebellious against the word of God. Therefore, you as his forgiven and redeemed child, his baptized, should take God's word seriously too. Think about it. You are God's child. Not you will be, not you kind of are. You are God's child, his baptized child. You're in the kingdom. You're at his table. You are forgiven, loved, and redeemed. You've been washed in the blood of Jesus. And God has put his name on you in holy baptism. And he has given his spirit to you. You belong to him. Now, imagine walking up to your heavenly father and saying, Well, you know, Father, I don't... I know that you don't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because I think it's enjoyable and it really doesn't seem to hurt anything. 
But you just told God, your Heavenly Father, that you don't take His words seriously. And that you'll do what you want because you like it and there doesn't seem to be any harm. Folks, that sounds an awful lot like unbelief. You see, to get to the heart of Jesus' word today when he says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Yes, this person described is still in the kingdom of heaven. Notice that. However, intentionally relaxing God's commandments is dangerous to your soul and to the souls of others. Hence, Jesus' firm warning. Now, the reason why this is so dangerous is because of the weakness of our fallen flesh. Folks, we don't need any help disregarding the word of God. Think about it. How long can you relax God's commands before you just don't care about them at all? How long until you don't care about being God's child and ultimately reject him in unbelief? This is what Jesus is trying to warn us of in his preaching and teaching today. Remember, dear saints, these words are spoken from the same lips that will later speak from the cross. It is finished, fulfilled, accomplished for you. You see, this is how God loves you. That he sent Jesus to the cross in your place. Beaten, bloodied, cursed, dying, crowned with thorns, dead. In the midst of your sin, shame, and darkness, God bursts in. And he saves you from your sin, from that darkness of death and from hell itself. Jesus took the punishment for your sin on the cross. He was laid in your tomb. And then he walked out of it alive three days later. This is your God. This is your Savior and Lord. And if this wasn't enough, he not only rose from the dead, but he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, foreshadowing our own rising from the dead and rising bodily to the eternal presence of the Father. Where he is, we too shall be. He sent his Spirit to give you faith and to keep you in the faith, and then he gave his word and sacraments as the means by which all this is accomplished. The one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he loves you with a love that seems impossibly good. And yet it is true, and it is yours. See, we confess this in the small catechism. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from all eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, that has bought me back, a lost and condemned purchase. How did he buy me back? He purchased and won me from all sins, death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. Why? That I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he has risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. And so I'll ask you, dear Christians, what flows out of this glorious reality of God's mercy and grace? What flows from the gospel? The thankfulness. Thankfulness. The final verse of our sermon hymn that captures this beautifully. We thank you, Christ. New life is ours. New light, new hope, new strength, new powers. This grace our every way attend until we reach our journey's end. And what is really the fulfillment of why Jesus came in the first place? To bring you back to himself in glory, resplendent, shining for all the ages upon ages with that heavenly host who's been washed in his blood. You see, with the Spirit's aid, we strive to walk in God's commandments and teach others to, the, to do the same, not in order to be forgiven, but because we are forgiven in Christ Jesus. 
We teach God's word to our children, godchildren, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And this teaching happens not just with our words, but also with our actions as we bring them to the divine service. We teach them the catechism word for word, teaching them the pattern of faith. As the Ten Commandments reveal our sin, the creed then shows us this God who is our Savior. The Lord's Prayer teaches us as God's children how to pray to our Heavenly Father and what to expect from Him because He is good. And then so also how we are brought into his family in baptism, confession and absolution, where we receive the forgiveness of our sins and the assurance of that forgiveness. And then we learn of the very body and blood of Christ and so then receive it. Because you can look to the font and say, that's where I was born. And you can look right here and say, this is how God feeds me along with his word, because it is the word that is the power and the sacraments. See, we teach our children the catechism word for word, not just because we are Lutheran, but because it's true. We are Christians, God's people. And so then we pray with them. And as we pray with our children, we teach them how to pray. We speak of Christ Jesus, both of his law and his gospel in our homes, in our cars, trucks, tractors, whatever, in our day-to-day conversations. Our entire lives are founded upon and lived in the grace and mercy of Christ our Savior, for he alone is our righteousness. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now the peace of God which surpasses understanding, watch and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Savior. Amen. In peace let us pray to the Lord. Lord In thanksgiving for Christ whose innocent suffering and death has freed us from the prison of everlasting death and that we may trust in his righteousness, which covers all our sin. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all the baptized, purchased from the power of sin, death, and the devil, that they may count themselves as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, serving their neighbors in love and looking for the resurrection that is theirs as children of God. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all Christians, that God would increase in them true fear, love, and trust in his saving word and holy name, that we may have no other gods beside him. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all fathers and mothers, pastors and teachers, that God would guide and bless them as they bring up children in the discipline and knowledge of the true faith. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For Joseph, our president, Michael, our governor, our legislatures and judges, our local leaders, and all who serve in our armed forces, that God would grant peace graciously in our time, since there is no other who fights for us but the Lord. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who are in danger, poverty, sickness, necessity, temptation, or persecution, we especially this day pray for Ron Lyon, Ron Gibson, Bob Rash, Chuck Lichty, Erlene Lakey, Lisa Rash, and Ted Phillips, that they may recognize God's will and be rescued by his grace. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who commune, that we would believe firmly that our God does not desire the death of sinners, but rather that they would turn from their evil way and live, and that in such faith we would worthily go to his altar to receive the very body and blood Christ gave for our redemption. And so praise, serve, and honor him always. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we confess that we are poor, miserable sinners with no good in us. Our hearts and our flesh and blood are so corrupted by sin that we are never in this life without sinful desires. 
Therefore, we implore you, forgive us our sins. Let your Holy Spirit so cleanse our hearts that we may love your word, abide by it, and by your grace be saved forever. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the, Holy, in the same Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, as we continue with our day in this week, I'll uh, turn your attention toward the announcements section. Of course, Sunday school and Bible study immediately following worship this day. And looking ahead to next Sunday, uh, I'm going to be out of town this week for vacation. Uh, the Reverend Brad Zirkel, he's the vacancy pastor over at Faith Lutheran. He'll be covering uh, next Sunday, and just as it has been in the past with Pastor Slater, so it is with him. He'll come early in the day, so worship will start at 8 a.m., and it will be the order of matins. Um, Sunday school and Bible study afterwards, uh, the announcement that I have regarding this is that there are no pastors available <laughs> to cover the Bible study. It's really, really difficult right now. And in fact, this is something that me and the other pastors in the circuit lament is that it can be difficult to find someone to cover a whole Sunday. Uh, so I will be providing resources for you, uh, both in print and on the Facebook page. Um, if you don't have uh, YouTube, which is where some of these videos will be, I'm gonna ask that someone uh, remain here and play those in the Bible study room so that you can view those then um, and continue as we continue our study through the Ten Commandments uh, in uh, the adult Bible study. So again, just next Sunday, note that worship time, 8 a.m. is when worship will begin. It will be the order of matins. Now looking ahead into August, the 11th and the 18th are two big dates. The 11th is church council. The 18th is the next quarterly voters meeting, so please note that and note the times also as they're there in the bulletin. Uh, in October, fest planning that continues to occur. Uh, if you've not signed up yet and you do want to help, there's a sign-up sheet on the glass case so we can get everything organized. Uh, and I'll turn your attention also um, in your bulletin there underneath that Focused on Christ section. I included a, a quote there from Luther in the large catechism on the Lord's Supper. You may find that edifying. Um, so I invite you to take a look at that as you have time. God's peace be with you as you go into the coming week. Know that it is Christ who is our righteousness. His blood covers your sin. And in him you have forgiveness, life, and salvation. God be praised. I'll greet you at the door.